You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual It's a couple days before Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for digital cameras and leaky, leaky ex-boyfriends. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you may have heard this in the news, uh, Carrie Prejean or Prejean, I never really hear her name said aloud because I mostly read. I don't watch a lot of television. The former Miss California, the enemy of gay marriage, Miss Opposite Sex Marriage or Miss Opposite Marriage. Turns out that uh, she made a sex tape. Or she argues it's not really a sex tape because she's alone in it, so it's a solo sort of erotic thing, but she's allegedly completely batshit bare-ass naked, and you see her goods, and uh, she's masturbating, and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the sex tape surfaced during her lawsuit with uh, the Miss California pageant people, and what's really fun about it, and why I'm thankful for it, is it just, you know, further exposes her as the hypocrite uh, and the lying sack of shit that she is. The lying sack of fake tits and shit that she is. Uh, she made the tape when she was 17 years old. Other 17-year-olds who've made similar sex tapes have been arrested and prosecuted for producing, making, and distributing child pornography. I don't think Miss California should be arrested. I don't think other 17-year-olds who've made similar tapes should be arrested. I think that uh, teenagers... Have a right to sexual expression, a right to control their own bodies, and if they're just sexting each other, it's fine. We should leave them the fuck alone. But what's really interesting, of course, is Miss California went and spoke at the Values Voters Summit earlier this year. And she said to the gathered Christian fuckwits that God chose her to be his anti-gay marriage messenger here on earth. That God spoke to her at that moment when Perez Hilton asked her where she stood on same-sex marriage. It's funny that the same God who is omniscient and knows that everything that happened yesterday and everything that's going to happen in the future didn't intervene at that moment when his soon-to-be-chosen anti-gay messenger was fingering out how to set up that camera and make that video. God might have at that moment, you know, a little power outage, a little technical malfunction, a little, you know, clouds opening up and God leaning in and saying, Carrie... You might want to not do that. I need you in the future, church, 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 to be my anti Stop it. But God didn't do that. The same God who would tap her on the shoulders that were holding up those big fake tits at the Miss California pageant not too many years later. Funny thing, though, about the servicing of the sex tape, the thing I really love the best, is it surfaced after she was done writing her new book. Still Standing, which is about her, you know, how she stood up to this onslaught of speaking engagements and book contracts that has ensued since she revealed herself to be an anti-gay bigot. And in this new book, Carrie Prejean writes uh, that she condemns the ubiquity of pornography and writes to young women, our bodies are temples of the Lord. We should earn respect and admiration for our hearts, not for showing skin to look sexy. Hee-haw! <laughs> it's another case of like the religious right. Uh, 
These rules and regulations are for thee, not for me. You shouldn't look at or make pornography or swim around in the ubiquitous pool of pornography. I did, but you shouldn't. I send dirty sex tapes to my boyfriends, but you shouldn't. And uh, you shouldn't show your skin. I'm a beauty pageant contestant. I parade around on stage in the tiniest little bikini and high heels with my whole body coated in baby oil. But you, your, your body's a temple. You shouldn't show skin to be... Oh. Anyway, that's what I'm thankful for, that we've still got Carrie Prigion to kick around. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage today for details. Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old uh, queer, kinky female calling from Washington, D.C. Surprise, surprise. Um, uh, pretty vanilla on the outside and really never had a problem with that division. I have a new sub-boy um, who's also called my boyfriend. And we're in a consideration period right now. And my birthday came up pretty quickly. And all my plans got canceled and I wanted to have sex. And he said no. And I said, it's my birthday. You should have sex with me. And he said, you shouldn't force me to have sex. Um, we had sex. And then I asked him about it this week. I wanted to talk about it a little bit more. And he said that when I wanted to have sex on my birthday and he just happened not to want to have sex, that when I said he should because it was my birthday, he thought about all of the sexual abuse training that he somehow knows about. He's had a lot of therapy, and he felt like he was one of those wives being forced to have sex when they didn't want to have sex, and that came up on your episode tonight. So, uh, 159, my question is, who? what does that mean? Is it okay for me to want to have sex on my birthday? I told him it's part of the way I celebrate. Um, I'm a little bit of a pagan. If it's a holiday or somebody's feeling sad or celebrating a birthday, we should be fucking. And that can mean a lot of things. Obviously, we're queer and kinky. We give and receive most things. So I want to respect him. And I asked him, have you been abused sexually? And he said he didn't know. And I have a history, because I'm a strong woman, and I'm very sexual, clearly, of attracting men who have an abuse history. And I know that's because sometimes they can be hypersexual. And I'm not really interested in being somebody's therapist. He has that. But if this is who I'm going to attract, what's the best way of handling this thing? And what do I do next? Thanks. This is a case of wish we had a phone number so we give you a call back. When you say you asked him to have sex and he said no and then you said we're having sex because it's my birthday and then he did, what did that look like? How did that unfold? Did he eventually consent? We can't call it rape just because, you know, in a relationship somebody says I'm not in the mood or I don't feel like it and then their partner wheedles, begs, seduces anything short of coercion. That's not rape. That's talking somebody into it, which happens all the time and most people once they're talked into it feel good about it. But obviously you either ordered him to do it because he's your sub or you talked him into it and then afterwards he didn't feel so good about it. So what do you do now? You ask if it's okay to want to have sex on your birthday. Yeah, it's absolutely okay to want to have sex on your birthday. It's not okay to have sex on your birthday with somebody who doesn't want to have sex with you. If you somehow used his sub thing as leverage to get him to do something that you could tell as a sensitive top he really didn't want to do, but if you guys had negotiated in your deal that anything goes and he's not allowed to say no, there's all sorts of things I'd like to be able to follow up with you about. We're going to set all that aside, though, 
You say he's in this consideration period, which means I don't know the fuck what, but it probably means you guys don't know each other that well yet. And I think it might be my considered opinion that this relationship isn't going to work out because he sounds like a bit of a mess and you sound like you have boundary and negotiation issues slash fuzziness that you need to work out with your subsequent subs so that you don't run into this situation again. But clearly whatever happened that night, however you got from, got him from no, I'm not having sex to I'm going to do you on your birthday per your request, he doesn't feel good about how that all transpired. And so you need to unpack how that transpired and think about it, how that transpired so that you don't step in it again with a future partner or sub. Um, hi, Dan. I love your show. And I'm a 29-year-old bisexual female, and I have a BDSM question. So I tried getting into some bondage stuff with a guy that I date sometimes, and we discussed that we both wanted to try some bondage. So he came to our next play date very equipped, and there's two things that I need to tell you. He had a bag of goodies, and I didn't know what was going to be in it, um, but that was okay. That was kind of a part of the excitement. And two, we really didn't talk about anything ahead of time as far as limits or safe words or anything like that. Um, I don't know, that might just be dumb, but I really didn't know, and I still don't know what my limits are, so I didn't, I don't know. So, okay, yeah. Um, he tied my hands behind my back, my legs were restrained, and he attached a spreader bar to them, and we fucked like that for a while, and then he added some rope and connected my feet to my neck, well, the rope around my neck, connecting it to my feet, so I'm on my stomach in kind of a bowed arch position, like my feet are near my head. I'm flexible, so that's fine, too. So, all of this was good. All of this was fine. I was fine with the restraints, even the rope. I wasn't choking. It was all actually really hot. So, I was not scared. I wasn't worried. When we started, everything he did seemed fine, and mentally, my mind was just screaming how awesome it was. So, he was fulfilling a lot of my fantasies, and some I hadn't even told him about. Okay. All of a sudden, it's like somebody flipped a switch. And, like, somebody was trying to shove me out of my body. I just disassociated. It, it stopped feeling good, and it was all of a sudden a weird, numbing, horrible feeling. My mind was freaking out, and I didn't want to be tied, and I didn't want to be touched, and I just wanted him to let me out of it. So he did. Um, he freed me, and I basically went and just freaked out in the bathroom for like 10 minutes while he knocked on the door. So when I came out, we didn't talk about much. I basically just told him that I freaked out, and he apologized, and, you know, whatever. So that was that. Okay, so I have read some stuff about subspace and how um, you can go somewhere or something like that. Um, was this my body trying to protect me or my mind, maybe? Or was I just scared? Is this normal? Did we just move too fast without enough communication? Again, it all started out gangbusters, super ready, very excited, and then just all of a sudden freak out. So what can I do next time to stop that from happening? Um, or if it does happen, how do I <laughs> – how can I calm myself down or react in a better way? We really didn't talk about limits or safe words ahead of time. That might be dumb. Yeah, that might be dumb. Actually, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that be dumb. No might about it. That be dumb. 
So what happened? You were enjoying yourself. He was sort of fulfilling your fantasies through guesswork and good instincts, perhaps. And then you freaked out. Well, it was all really hot. It was all really intense. Sometimes when you approach, you know, a long-held, perhaps repressed fantasy and you're living it, systems overload. It becomes too hot, too good, too intense. And you sort of peer into the, the abyss of your own capacity for submission, for sexual pleasure, for whatever. And the circuits all break. That's a part of the reason why in S&M it is important to have a safe word, something you can say that halts the action. You know, what if you had been gagged and unable to communicate with him at that moment? Hopefully like a good top, he would have been able to read your body language even if your body was partly restrained. But without a safe word, without a safe gesture, if you're gagged, you're really taking a chance that you don't need to take and shouldn't take, particularly when you're doing this stuff for the first time with someone and experiencing it perhaps for the first time. I don't think some people are going to say, oh, maybe you have issues, maybe you were abused, maybe you have repressed memories. No. You just hit the system overload, which can also happen in vanilla sex. There are people who've had a very similar experience to the one you described where just too much coming at them, too many physical and emotional and erotic sensations, and they kind of hit a wall and have to bail. What you have to do with your kinks, which obviously you enjoy – is not question or associate the kink with the the hitting of the wall to not to not have a sort of a shame overload where you say oh this happened when I was doing that therefore there must be something wrong with that even though I enjoyed it da, da, da. you don't want to you don't want to cultivate a hang up about this behavior the, the sexual activity that really did give you a lot of pleasure regard it as again system overload circuit breakers kicking in to protect you really uh, from the intensity of the stimulation, the moment, the fantasy that you were living. And I would encourage you to go again with perhaps this guy, but for Christ's sake, safe word, limits, negotiation, talk. Like part of the reason why your brain might have flipped out at the moment it flipped out was because where was this ultimately all going? You didn't know consciously or subconsciously. Perhaps your subconscious freaked out in a self-defense way because where was this going to end? It sounded like he was ramping up the intensity, ramping up the bondage, ramping up the restraint, the immobilization, and part of your brain was probably going, how does this end? We didn't decide, we didn't talk in advance about when it's over, right? So that's a freak out moment. You need to talk about limits. You need to talk about how far you're willing to go, particularly in, in these sessions, if you're going to do BDSM with a new person and it's the first time you're doing it, you need to establish your limits so you can relax and enjoy what is happening, confident that only things that you've agreed to in advance are ultimately going to happen during that session. If you establish real trust and a real rapport and you have a really solid relationship with this guy, you may be able to relax in an open-ended scene where your limits are going to be pushed or they're poorly defined, but not right out of the gate, not like this. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like the Savage Lovecast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash savage to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. You might want to, with the holidays approaching, go to Audible and download X, The Erotic Treasury, a new anthology of erotic lit edited by my buddy Susie Bright. Just to sex up your holidays a little bit because there's really not much sexy about Thanksgiving. So you might want to give it a boost. Again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage for your free audiobook download today. Hey, Dan. This is uh, Mike. 
Uh, I'm just calling to let you know, a while ago I sent a really stupid email that I regret, and uh, it was kind of bigoted against homosexual marriage, and <laughs> over time I've come to terms that, uh, you know, I really started to, with help from your podcast, see homosexuals as, uh, you know, more having equal rights as everybody else, which they should, and I'd like to thank you for just changing my mind about that. But um, my call is because me and my girlfriend have been kind of thinking about trying to get into a, like, four-way with my friends, and I'm not really sure how to approach the subject, you know? Like, I brought it up to her, and we thought it was really hot, you know, good idea. And uh, I just don't know how to bring it up to him and his girlfriend without, you know, seeming really awkward and weird and playing it off afterwards if he's not into it or whatever. So if you could just tell me out with that, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks for coming around on the whole gay marriage issue. Otherwise, I totally wouldn't give you any advice about arranging this big breeder four-way. How do you do it without coming off weird or creepy? Potentially, you don't do it. If you don't want to potentially be perceived as weird or creepy, you just don't hit on other people for four ways, three ways, SM ways, however ways that aren't, you know, quote unquote, the right way or the normal way. You have to be comfortable with these folks getting skeeved out a little bit or freaking out if they're not into it. But you have to weigh whether, you know, the chance that they might be into it is worth the risk of skeeving them out or being thought creepy by these people, your friends, for the rest of your relationship, rest of your lives. Here's how you go about it, though. You go to them and you say, are you guys strictly monogamous? You you initiate a conversation kind of about your sex life and you just throw it out there. You say, because if you're not, we're both kind of into you guys and if you ever wanted to have, you know, if you ever wanted to swing with us, have a four with us, we'd be so up for that. It would be really fun. And then you add, if that freaks you out, I'm really sorry. Let's not, you know, I hope that won't color the rest of our relationship. If you guys aren't into it, that's totally cool. We totally respect your relationship and how you organize it and, you're, you know, and, and, and we'll be grownups about rejection if you reject our offer. Uh, and we won't be weird about it if you're not weird about it. And then you're going to feel weird about it if they reject you. You're going to feel self-conscious when you're around them and you just have to bluster your way through that self-consciousness. You just have to act like – nothing's changed and you don't feel self-conscious and you're still good buddies and you don't resent them for turning you down if they turn you down. And if you fake that long enough, it will that feeling will come true basically. If you don't act like you've damaged your relationship, the odds of you actually damaging a relationship should they reject you are that much smaller. And then of course, they may accept and then Yahtzee. But you never get to have a three-way. You never get to have a four-way. You never get to do that kind of shit outside of like you know a swingers club, a swingers party, unless you're willing to take a risk now and then. Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old straight female in a new exclusive relationship that's about two months old. Here's my problem. I'm completely falling in love. Usually when I start dating someone, they sink or swim on the very first date. I either have crazy chemistry with them and put them up on an unrealistic pedestal or I don't go out with them again. It's been different with my current boyfriend. He grew on me more slowly and this helped me to approach him with a more level-headed attitude. However, now that I'm falling in love with him, I find it really hard to keep my wits about me. He's a very kind person with great interests, great friends. We have a lot in common. I can't look at him without wanting to blurt out the L word, which I'm completely determined not to do. 
So I have two questions. Number one, how do you stay level-headed when you're falling in love? I feel like I'm starting to worship him the way I worship other people, and that's not healthy. That's not a road I want to go down again. I really want to see where this goes, but I have a lot of trouble staying in the moment and not daydreaming about the future. Um, the second question, how long should you wait to tell someone you love them? Now, there's no rule book. Um, it's kind of a hard thing to determine. My feelings are really genuine, but it really is just too soon to express them. However, I'm, I'm sure he knows. I'm, I'm just, you know, hard on my sleeve kind of person. And not blurting it out is, is killing me, and I feel like I'm going crazy. I hate the space between dating and being in an, an established, quote-unquote, established relationship. So many unanswered questions, and I am terrified of the answers. Part of me wants to say, you blurt it out when it feels right. But I know that's not always wise, not because the other person might not be feeling it too, but if it's too soon, if it's early in the relationship, it's sort of generally understood that trotting out the, the big I love you too soon, even if you're feeling it, isn't evidence that your feelings aren't true and that the love may not be real or you may not be together forever, but it is perceived as evidence of poor judgment. And that is a strike against you as a potential long-term relationship prospect. We want the people we're with for the rest of our lives, and that's part of what we're doing when we're dating and young and falling in love and switching partners, is auditioning our potential life partners. We want them to have good judgment. And one of the ways you evidence good judgment is not by saying things uh, too soon, but your fantasy in your head about you know five years in the future, 10 years in the future, kids, family, your whole life with this person, that person may be having the same fantasies right now and not unspooling them for you because it's too soon, because you guys don't know each other well enough yet for that kind of pressure, that kind of sharing, right? So even if you're both on the same page, you both want evidence to each other that you're smart and you have high emotional you know, intelligence quotients and you're not irrational. And your rational brain, which is telling you that at two, three months is too soon, is the, is the part of the brain you have to listen to. I think you can make a little bit of a game out of it though. I know when my partner and I were first dating, we both had the impulse to say it and it was too soon. And so we sometimes look at each other and said, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking dot, 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 right? And that was a way of acknowledging that, you know, the, the crush, the infatuation, without speaking aloud something that had we spoken it aloud too soon could have queered the deal. And I would encourage you to do the same. Hi, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old female living in New York, and I'm straight. I just started dating this fellow about nine months ago. Really, really great. He's wonderful. He's fantastic. Um, but... Um, just before he and I started dating, he was engaged. Um, he had been with that girl before for five years, like, you know, super intense relationship. But towards the end of it, he got, you know, gradually over time, he's emotional engagement, like really unhappy and just, you know, things fizzled out. And then all of a sudden, you know, this thing with us started and it was just crazy and electric and magnetic. And we have this really incredible connection, but um, he has a hard time things and I feel like I'm living with her ghost um, it just he he still has a couple in his new apartment because they of course were living together he still has some things in boxes and occasionally I'll find things that were hers and it's just he doesn't talk about her he refuses to talk about her because that's in the past and he doesn't want to say anything but I'm just worried that he's holding things back and then he's not he's not fully processing what happened and then I'm just 
even though he says that he's really committed and that, you know, this is, this, this isn't just a fling or, you know, whatever it is that it's going to turn out that he's really, that this is just a rebound after all and a, a long-term rebound, but that's kind of what I'm afraid of. So am I setting myself up to fail? Am I worried about nothing? How do I talk to you about it? Help, please. <laughs> Stop it. Stop picking at that scab. Relax and enjoy this relationship. You are way overthinking this. The thing you most fear, which is that this relationship isn't going to last, you're obsessing about whether you're the rebound girlfriend and why his previous relationship ended and whether he's processed it enough is likely to end this relationship. You are driving the relationship toward the cliff by obsessing about these issues that aren't yours to obsess about. They're his. Let it fucking go. You're only 24 years old. He may be the man you're with the rest of your life. He may not. If you're enjoying your time together, enjoy your time together. Perhaps just having a girlfriend that he likes spending time with is the process that he needs right now to help him recover from this failed engagement, from the relationship that he ended. And if you are the thing that helps him get over his previous girlfriend, perhaps you will end up being the thing that he wants to be with for the rest of his life. But I guarantee he's not going to want to be with you for much longer, let alone the rest of your life. If you insist that he unpack all of his emotional baggage, that you want him to sort of convince you that He's dating you in the free and clear emotionally. You're not his fucking therapist. You're his girlfriend. You're supposed to be the person that he's excited to see, not the person that he dreads seeing because seeing you means that he's got to jump up on the couch and that you get to have two gears, which is your girlfriend, pleasure, fun, uh, emotional intimacy, and your therapist girlfriend who you have to convince that you're seeing for all the right reasons or she's going to – like – He's not going to want to be with you if you are both those people. Just for now, be his fucking girlfriend and let it go. Hey, Dan Savage. I'm pretty drunk right now. And I wanted to ask, well, me and my friend are two attractive, charming teenage boys. And we recently realized that we both share a strong affiliation, affinity, that word that means something you enjoy, for middle-aged 30-ish women. And then we realize that that's sexual peak. And we're both about 19, 20. So my question is, if you're a teenage boy, how do you convince 30-something women to have sex with you? Because in my opinion, they'll laugh at my jokes and they'll think I'm kind of cool, but they're definitely not going to have sex with me, which is really lame. Word of the day, affiniation. That is the drunk tense form of affinity. How do you talk 30, late 20s, early 30s, ladies into fucking your teenage asses? You just got to put them out there. Not all or even I think a, a majority of women and single women in their 20s and 30s are going to be up for teenage lovers. But a certain number will and you're going to have better luck finding them online. Take out personal ads. Go to ashleymadisonperhaps.com. Go to sites like Craigslist and just say I'm 19 and I'm horny and I'm looking for 30 something ladies 
you'll have better luck with that approach than your current drunk dial the fag with a podcast approach. I guarantee you. Hello, Dan. My name is Scott. And I have a question regarding the concept that you're going that these ministers and religious guys are going to take a gay member of the family and teach them to be straight again. Now, I've always kind of laughed at this concept, always kind of, you know, like poo-pooed it and just shook my head at the, at almost like the audacity that some religious fanatic is going to teach somebody some new skills to trade their sexual, excite them sexually, right to the moment that we moved here to Tonga. Now, we're living in Tonga in the South Pacific, in this little kingdom, and in Tonga and much of the South Pacific, they have this Polynesian deal where if your family is having too many boys, but you need more woman labor in the family, that you just take one of the boys and raise them as a female. And so that seems, well, rather odd that like a child would just kind of randomly be taught as a child that you're going to be a female, that you're not really a male, but nonetheless, that's what's happening. And the thing is, is that the town where we're living is full of these, like they call them fakaleles, and there's no like, um, uh, uh, there's no, um, uh, there's no stigma. Ah, my wife's talking to me there. There's no stigma, uh, like that they're, that they're a strange person or anything. They're just accepted into the community as anybody else. And so they're just all these fakaleles running around. And when you see all the school kids in their school uniforms, there's a bunch of fakaleles in the schools also. And nobody seems to think anything of it. And they're everywhere. So my question is, if you can take a child from birth and say, no, you're going to be raised as a female. And so then they... I don't know, they don't go and play with the tools or something, and they don't become little boys. They stay girls for the rest of their life. So if you can take a baby and tell the baby that you're going to be raised as a female, then why can't you take, and it seems to work, it seems to happen, then why can't you take a female, a male, a gay male, and change them back into a hetero male? I'm not familiar with the phenomenon that you described, so I'm kind of pulling this out of my ass. I would be interested to know if, all of these families with multi, many, many boys uh, do this where they single one out and raise them as a girl uh, or if it's something some families do and not other families and if every child that this is done to sort of successfully is female as a grown-up or lives out the life as a female and what happens to these children after they uh, become sexually active? Are they then married off to men and do they live in gay-ish relationships? There's a lot of unanswered questions here but I would like to point out that one of the things we know – from science, is that boys with older brothers are likelier to be gay than boys with older sisters and older brothers. That the more boys born to one particular woman, the likelier that boys lower in the birth order, youngest sons, will be gay. I have two older brothers myself, incidentally. So perhaps what's happening here is these families with many, many boys are raising, you know, the femi boy, perhaps not from birth, but when they first start to evidence uh, a bit of sissydom as girls. And that's the way that this culture channels or allows uh, the gay boys who do exist uh, to construct their identity. And then they live sort of as – they're encouraged to identify and live as women, much as – Homosexual Native Americans were too spirited, blah, blah. But again, I don't know. But it's fascinating and it could use further study, I think, and uh, more evidence.
Thank you. Oh, why wouldn't it work in reverse? Because I don't think, if my theory holds, I don't think that these boys who are successfully raised to live as women in this culture are essentially heterosexual. I think odds are that the boys that this is done to are homosexual and they're sort of encouraged to or allowed to live as female-identified males uh, because of who they are, because something's perceived in who they are, even as small children. My parents knew I was gay when I was very young. Um, and that could be what is going on here. And I don't think you could just do the reverse and take an adult person who is homosexual and start treating them like what a man, I get treated like a man everywhere I go. And it hasn't instilled in me any desire to eat pussy. Hi, Dan. I have been dating a man since February. Um, we're totally in love. It's totally good. Uh, the one sort of snag and the reason I'm calling is that he's deaf. And we communicate completely in sign language. So that's fine for me. But um, my family doesn't know sign language at all. So um, so he's met my mother, and I've had to interpret between them. Um, he's going to meet my sister this weekend. I'm going to have to interpret between them, too. Um, so I was on the phone with my grandmother recently, and she sort of put up a little bit of a stink about how you know, this is going to be, you know, they're never, my family's never really going to be able to communicate with him um, because he's deaf and, you know, do I really want to do that? So, of course, I'm not going to break up with him because of that. I think that's just complete bullshit. But my question for you really is, when do I put my foot down? When do I have the right to put my foot down and tell my family that it's really time for them to step up to the plate and make an effort in terms of, of learning sign language? Um, uh, we're planning to move in together um, around the one-year mark, uh, so next, early next spring maybe. Uh, is that is that a reasonable time to say, okay, look, obviously this is really serious. You need to, you, need, you guys need to make some sort of effort, or you know, does it have to wait longer? I just, it's more of a, maybe it's more of an etiquette question than anything. Um, but uh, I definitely do not want to go my whole life. I'm pretty close with my family. I don't want to go my whole life, you know, being the go-between between my boyfriend or husband and the rest of my family. You say you're going to move in. This is very serious, thinking about marriage. And you're going to move in with him. And that is evidence of how serious this relationship is. Around the one-year mark, sometime next spring. Which means this relationship is, what, six, seven, eight months old? And your family hasn't all rushed off to learn American Sign Language? Come on. I think at this early stage in your relationship, being pissy in advance or being pissy now about their failure to all learn American Sign Language because you have been dating this guy for closer to six months than a year is a bit psycho. You need to relax. It is not an affront to you or your relationship that at this early stage you've had to do a little interpreting for your family. When will they learn American Sign Language? I think that if you do marry this guy, you could give them a few books on American Sign Language and perhaps let them know where there's a couple of classes and say, it would mean a lot to me. It would mean a lot to us. We would feel like our relationship was being supported if you guys made a little bit of an effort to be able to communicate with him. Uh, that would be great. And I bet they will once they really realize, once it is evident that this is forever. They'll also pick some of it up casually. The more time, if you say, you say you're close, the more time they spend with you and him, the likelier they are to start learning some sign language just from interacting with you guys frequently. 
but they're not obligated to run off and learn American Sign Language because you've been dating a deaf guy for six months any more than they're all obligated to run off and learn French because you've been dating a French guy for six months. Relax. It's you're, If you're close and your family's as tight-knit as you say they are, once he's officially permanently a member of the family, I bet your close, tight-knit family will realize that they have a responsibility to learn a little American Sign Language. No need to be a douchebag about it. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a call for a future show, you download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day, including the Savage Love Letter of the Day at slog.thestranger.com. And me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth will be back at you after Thanksgiving with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>